Channel Podcasts. It's London 2012. The female British hockey team are genuine medal contenders at the Olympic Games. It's the first game against Japan and they're winning 4-0. So things are going pretty well, until... That's the sound of their captain breaking her jaw. Kate Richardson-Walsh went in for a tackle and was hit in the face with a hockey stick. Ouch. That was her screaming. The replay is gruesome. That seemed like it. Her Olympics were over, weren't they? This is the Olympic Channel podcast and I'm Ed Knowles. And this week we're talking about starting from the bottom and rising to the top. David Charles went to meet Kate Richardson-Walsh in London to talk about making a comeback when all seems lost. Olympic Channel Podcast. So today for the Olympic Channel Podcast, I'm joined by Kate Richardson-Walsh, the gold medal winning captain of Great Britain from the women's hockey in Rio 2016. Kate, how are you today? I'm really well, thank you. I'm looking forward to having a chat. You brought your jaw early on in the tournament and then you came back, which is... Pretty impressive feat. Um, can you talk us through just what that was like? Yeah, I mean, every time I drive past the pitches that, where they just used to be over the road, and I think about just that whole two weeks was just electric, and then the two weeks of the Paralympics as well was just the same. It was, it was the whole month was just amazing, um, and you know, it's dream come true, once in a lifetime opportunity, home Olympic games. And we are playing the first game as the Great Britain women's hockey team against Japan. And it's like a dream start with 4-0 up. There's four minutes to go and then I go in for a tackle because I'm competitive and I will never let things go. And I went in for a tackle that I probably shouldn't have done. And as I went in for the tackle, and the Japanese girl had already started to swing to hit the ball and she just couldn't pull out. Um, and as I'd touched the ball, she then kept swinging, missed the ball and it just caught me here in a sweet spot. And I knew straight away all this kind of row of teeth, just that popped up in my mouth. This is the best way I can describe it. And yeah, just the whole crowd made like a pantomime like <gasps> sound. And then it just went, everything went, went really slowly after that. Time slowed down and I thought I knew that was it. My games was over. I saw an amazing surgeon, Dr. Holmes, and I had the best medical support I could have ever had. Um, he, reckon, he said, I can fix you. And I was he seems confident, so let's go with it. And um, there were kind of ups and downs. I really doubted whether I could come back or not. And the team, of course, were continuing being hugely professional as they always were, always are. Played uh, South Korea, won that game. Played Belgium, won that game. And the coach and the medical staff gave me the opportunity to try and get back fit. And, and I went for it and managed to get back fit. And it it's kind of, the whole thing's bittersweet. I just, you know, I really don't have any regrets in my life I try not to have them but there are many times when I thought what if I just hadn't gotten that tackle what difference would that have made um we'll never know and it was what it was and it is what it is and I came back and we lost to China we lost to the Dutch we then lost our semi-final game to Argentina 2-1 and thankfully finished on a winner um beating New Zealand for that bronze medal game and it it felt amazing. We'd gone there with really high hopes, believing that we could win that gold medal. Um, and in all honesty, when I look back, I think, you know, actually probably third is where we were at the time. So it kind of feels feels right. 
but I'm competitive. We're all competitive. You know, we went for gold and we, we just missed out. But it, the, 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 my memories are just so clear of those, those two weeks of that Olympics. It was epic. It's interesting talking about like regrets or, you know, in hindsight, you didn't have to yeah. go in for a tackle. But at the same time, that was kind of your style of play. And that, like, yeah. if you, you set yourself some very high standards, the entire team had really high standards, and you'd, would you say you'd have let yourself down if you weren't going in for those tackles in the, you know, with two minutes to go or how long it was on the clock? Yeah, that is how I played. You know, I was really lucky with all the injuries that I had, but most of the injuries I sustained were from being hit with a stick or a ball, lots of stitches and cuts, um, and that is how I played. And I had a shot across the bowels, I think about two months before that game, and I'd done exactly the same thing, but been a bit quicker to turn my head and just got cut the top of my head open instead of my jaw. Um, I wasn't so quick this time. So it's just, it's just how I played. And sport at the very highest level and every level, you know, at times is can be dangerous and I think we do so well in our sport to to have really good protection and we try and you know maintain the safety in sport but at times because people are putting their bodies on the line because it matters that much things like that happen. In 2013, Kate married her partner, Helen. Helen also played on the British and England team. At the Olympics, the team is Great Britain, whereas for most other internationals, Kate and her wife represented England. 2014 was a World Cup year, and Kate's wife had a bad back injury. It meant that she missed out on selection for the 2014 World Cup. For Kate, it was a year of turmoil. The team ended up in a playoff for last place at the World Cup with Belgium. Kate started to question everything. Was she still good at her job? Should she still do her job? What should she do next? In 2014, obviously you had Commonwealth Games in Glasgow with England, but uh, the World Cup did not go to plan. Um, what happened? No, and as, as, as many things as it takes to be successful, it's the same number of things to, um, to make up failure, basically. And... We'd been riding on a high in the lead up to London Olympic Games as the kind of, as England and Great Britain, we'd been on podiums, World Cups, Champions Trophies, you know, we'd, we'd been winning world level medals. We were kind of, a, that was part of what we did and what we were about. And then, so to go to the World Cup as England in 2014 and play off for last place with Belgium um, was just so disappointing, but then also not, it was devastating but not that surprising because as a, as a group, we'd just really changed. We'd changed culturally, we'd changed um, our mentality and it was nobody's individual doing or anybody's fault. It was just a perfect storm of lots of elements coming together and going from being a very selfless team for quite, to, be, to quite a selfish team. And it, you know, it, was, it what didn't happen overnight, it was over a period of time. And I think that just culminated in that performance, in the, all the performances, frankly, at the, at the World Cup in 2014. And it was, it was really, really devastating. Um, two years out from Rio, you know, when we'd, we'd really had our sights set on getting improvement on that bronze from London. And, you know, at that point, it looked like that was never going to happen. And it was hard. It was hard for every player, every member of staff. It was really, really tough as a partner, as a wife, to see your 
partner go through something that's she, in so much pain. She had double back surgery between London and Rio. Um, now has a plastic spacer in her, you know, spine where a disc should be, and it was. She's just so determined, and um, she really gave it her all to try and get back to full fitness for that World Cup. Um, but you know, probably just ran out of time, unfortunately. She, it was so in that aspect devastating, and then you think, well. What of the team lost? Well, the team lost an exceptional leader, an exceptional player, world-class player would get in any world side, goal scorer on the big stage. And you then miss something that's very critical to that group. And at particularly that time when we were struggling a little bit and really kind of fighting to find form, you know, we do absolutely missed Helen as a, as a player and as a leader in that team. So on every level, it was hard. Um, you know, even just basic things of, you know, she's, we share a room together, she's my roomie and, you know, we, you'd share, I, you know, I'd be able to just come and share and talk to her and it was a different dynamic for me in that, in that perspective and I knew that she was going on at home, kind of supporting us but also going through her own difficult moments. So it was, it was really challenging all around um, and so that, which is why eventually what happened, I think, probably feels all the more that sweet. Um, People often ask me, Joe, do, do you think you need to go through the hard times to get to the good times? And I'm always like, no, you don't, you don't need them. <laughs> but if you can, you can use it as a fuel, you can use it as a springboard to turn it around. But I really wished we hadn't had 2014. I call it the year from hell uh, because we were all in a really dark place. Is that why you took the sabbatical towards the end of the year? Yeah, I, me personally, I, I just really, really struggled. I started to ask myself some really big kind of life questions, you know, why am I here? What's my value? Um, do I have a role anymore? Is this for me? Do the team need something else? Um, can I not be that person anymore? And um, I didn't have the answers. I didn't have any answers. And I thought, well, I don't 100% know that I'm ready to retire. I don't want to go out like this for sure, but I know I can't stay here right now for my own mental health. Um, to be well in myself, I can't stay. And I also thought I just, in that regard, I was just going to have a, a negative impact on the team as well. And so I, kind of with the blessing of uh, Danny Kerry, who'd come back in as coach, he kind of said, yeah, that's fine, go away. He was, you know, left me with no uncertain terms. I was going to have to work my way back into the side, which I totally agreed with. Um, I was going to go back into the development squad and work my way back into the group and I was totally absolutely happy and fine with that because that's the way it should be regardless of who you are and so I did I went took myself around the world and um yeah went on a bit of a finding self mission and uh with the blessing of Helen as well because it's so understanding that she was going through a difficult time to allow me that space to go and figure that out um and I, I think I was away for about five weeks I came back trained with the development squad and then I think it was the back end of December, January, I was back in with the, with the GB programme. Do you find that like therapeutic, looking back on that period of your life, which, as we've seen on the pitch, was, was tough, but like off the pitch even more so? Like looking back, like, do you feel like a stronger and a, and a better person? Not for experiencing that, because I have to say, you don't want to do that, no. but like to kind of survive that, I guess, and to get through it. 
Yeah, it is therapeutic. I feel it's quite cathartic talking about it, which is why I'm really pro people talking about it because I think it's the hardest step. But I think once you've taken that big step to talk to somebody about your mental health, um, I think it, it really opens up new doors for everybody. Um, and it was, you know, it was in the team. Kind of from that moment on, I think it got us all to start thinking about our mental health a little bit more and to be prepared to talk about it a little bit more. Um, because, we're, you know, we're, we're athletes and traditionally and stereotypically we're supposed to be tough and strong and, you know, don't show any emotion and not feel anything, just kind of get through it. And life isn't like that. We're human beings and we're emotive creatures and we have ups and downs. And actually... You know, even the people who maybe on the outside look supremely serene and they're not having any problems at all, they will be having things going in their lives, in their heads, in their hearts that, that, that will just not be going the way they want them to and they'll be feeling bad. And whether that's just having a bad day or whether that's, you know, having mental health um, issues, you know, whether you've got depression or such a broad array of of. Um, of things I think the more we can talk about it the less taboo it comes and um, the more real we are and actually as athletes the more um, approachable we are and actually people can really relate to us in a, in a much deeper way because everybody's going to go through it at some point Webb <sighs> spins in Holly Webb scores Great Britain win gold they win the shootout by two goals to nil. And the Netherlands' era of dominance is over. And Great Britain, for the first time, have won a women's hockey gold medal. The whole two weeks feel special to me, and it's hard to pinpoint a moment. And we'd won every game in the build-up, so it just felt like that positive momentum was with us. And we're playing the Dutch, the number one team in the world. They're going for the third Olympic gold medal in a row. You know, all the pressure was on them. We just had to go out there and do as best we could and fight. And if we felt we could take it to a penalty shootout, we had a really good chance because we had great goalkeepers. Maddie Hinch, outstanding goalkeeper, and our penalty takers were just ready. Um, so there's no one moment, but it just felt like all of, the, all of those bits of critical moments over the years just fed into that game for Holly Pern Webb to go up and, uh, and Holly Webb as she was then before she was married, um, to go up and take that final penalty. And, it, you know, it's millimetres, just creeps in the near post. And then it's just a blur because we're just running, screaming, crying, laughing, shouting, and it basically stayed that way for about a week. <laughs> so what changed? What were the ingredients that took the team over the line? I find it really interesting that in 2016, going into to Rio, the team basically banned social media. The idea of not being on that for like three weeks yeah. and just completely detoxing, was that, was that difficult to do? Especially at a time when, you know, you're in the spotlight, you know, in the UK and mm -hmm. there's a really good opportunity to really progress the team's stature. How, how difficult a decision was that for the team? Yeah, it was really, it was a tough decision. And, you know, our coach 
Danny Kerry had empowered the squad to build our culture. So we'd established our vision, our values and our behaviours and, and how we wanted to be as a group. And he empowered us with this decision as well. And he spoke very passionately about why he felt we shouldn't, we don't need to be on social media. But if, he also knew that if he stood at the front and said, right, I'm taking your phones away, I mean, that would have just caused havoc. And so he couldn't do that. And so we left us to talk about it. And we had some, it's really, really difficult, really challenging debate about it. Because for some players, exactly as you said, this was their moment, you know, kind of a world platform to get their name out there. And if they wanted to do certain things after the Olympic Games, this, was, this would have really helped them. And that was understandable. And then you had other people saying, you know, but this is once in a lifetime for some of us will never be here again why do we need to be on social media um, one of the girls spoke very personally about some tweets she'd gotten in the london olympic games kind of talking about her physical appearance and and really being derogatory about what she looked like and we all kind of felt like if we're talking about a hockey or their performance we feel like we're armored for that if, if an athlete is being questioned on their performance you kind of feel like you're ready because you've been doing that your whole career yourself and from coaches everybody else anyway but when it's about something about you as a person or your physical appearance then that's a different thing and if it if it knocks me it's going to knock my teammates and then it's going to cost us potentially so after but I think it was two or three meetings we decided to come off social media so we chose a date and a time we all sent our last Instagram post, Twitter post, Facebook post, and then we went off for two weeks. And, you know, I'm not, uh, I wasn't born yesterday. I'm quite sure halfway through the, you know, the tournament in Rio when we were kind of winning game three, four, five, I'm sure players had a little cheeky look. But that's fine. That's human nature again. That's well within, they're well within their rights to do that. They've got that freedom. We're not robots. But the, the understanding was there that, why we're doing this is because we just need to focus on what we're doing um, and that would that was still there regardless of that and what we didn't know is having a knock-on effect in the opposition you know they were looking at that our kind of last post and being like oh wow they're here they mean business yeah they mean business and and we really did mean business and from that moment on i just felt we were so mindful and in the moment and i love social media i can't get enough of it and i probably need to put it down sometimes but it does stop us at times from being mindful and present and in the moment. And actually, it was brilliant because it just meant we were with each other um, in every sense. So it was amazing. It's, in it's interesting as well, talking about creating environments where, you know, there's a really excellent culture and a high performance mm -hmm. mentality and attitude that it wasn't uh, a case of your coach, you know, being firm and saying, give me your phones with a bag. It's kind of allowing athletes to kind of become the, their own decision makers, I guess. Is that something for you when you discuss creating these environments, the, the role that athletes take in, as part of that in terms of how, you know, how involved do you let the athletes become as part of that journey? Yeah, and I think it's massive for me. I think culture, how you build that culture, what that looks like, sounds like, feels like is everything to um, high performance and high performance for individuals and in teams and you know even individual sports they are a team they have a group of people around them they wouldn't be there without and you're so reliant on each other unless you're all on the same page going in the same direction probably from coming absolutely from different perspectives but at least going in that same direction then there's always going to be doubts 
Um, there will always be people pulling in, in opposite directions, therefore there will be clashes and conflict that is in a negative way because conflict in itself is not negative. We need to encourage those having courageous, challenging conversations, but it's, it's making sure I think that end point is the same and that there's an understanding of what that is going to take. Um, so, I mean, it's really courageous and brave, I think, of our coach, you know, to, to empower us in that way um, and respect the group and actually what we had at that time was a real core group of, of experienced leaders and then, you know, the younger players just had just some brilliant ideas and a great mentality and just you want you want all that different opinion and different perspectives because actually that's when you get to the the best place and in allowing everybody to have a say and have a voice you it means that they can thrive as individual people which is the most important thing of all and then as a collective you can thrive so if you can create that environment then i think that is i mean it's i'm making it sound like it's easy it's not um and i've been in many many teams where it's gone wrong but that if we if you can get that if you can grip that um, and continue to move it forward and have that positive momentum, then it, I think the, the most consistently successful teams in business and in sport have great culture. Kate Richardson Walsh, thank you very much for your time today. Olympic Channel Podcast. Big thanks to Kate. You can follow her on Twitter as Kate Walsh11, numerals 11. You can follow David on Twitter, he's just David Childs. I'm Eddie Knowles with an I and an E. The Olympic Channel is there too, just as the Olympic Channel. If you enjoyed this episode, Jordan Burroughs is a US wrestler looking to make a comeback too. He won gold at London 2012, but missed out completely at Rio 2016. He had to reassess how he felt as a person as a whole. Who am I if I'm not the champion? Everyone calls me champ. I've been the champ for such a long period of time. I've won so much on the biggest stage, and now here I am, humiliated and embarrassed in front of the entire world. I've put a link in the episode description to that one. This week, I thought I would read a nice review that we've had to give some people some inspiration to write another review. Reviews on the podcast app are super helpful. So if you can give us five stars and a few words, it would be much appreciated. Anyway, Jill Mozzarella wrote, Great podcast for Olympic fans. Wow, I'm so excited that this podcast exists. It offers great variety in terms of sports and they have amazing guests. Love it. Subscribe. We'll listen every week. Jill, thank you very much to you. All right. Well, that is it for now, though. See you soon. Think like an Olympian.